welcome to another episode of Real Parenting Insight, which is a show inside the Real Parenting Stories. So this is a segment where we delve into, you know, diverse and uh, nuanced world of parenting topic. So today I wanted to touch base on uh, a specific topic, which uh, for me was kind of new. Uh, when I moved to the U.S. and I had my firstborn, who happened to be a boy, the subject of getting my son circumcised was brought up by, you know, health professional during my um, many appointments to follow my pregnancy. And to me, it was kind of a, you know, obviously different approach as compared to uh, where I'm from, which is France, where we don't necessarily bring this topic up in the, in the context of, you know, health. Uh, most people in France choose to um, get this practice based on their religions or culture. So, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, dwell into this this topic and and see where it goes. So, really, before we dive into the research, I really want to emphasize that this episode is not meant to pass, you know, judgment or dismiss anyone's personal choices. So, instead, the aim is to explore, you know, the history and the scientific evidence surrounding circumcision and shed lights on its prevalence in the U.S., compared to, well, other countries such as France or, you know, Italy, where the practice is less common. So, all right, let's, let's begin. So the ritual circumcision has been a long-standing practice among Jews and Muslims, you know, rooted in religious traditions or, you know, trouble marking. However, um, its history extends far beyond these communities with evidence of its existence in ancient Egypt and other cultures. So in Judaism, circumcision is known as the Brit Mila and is performed on male babies eight days after birth. So the ceremony is an important ritual symbolizing the Jewish people covenant with God and has been one of the religion most defining laws and characteristics for thousands of years, differentiating it from other people around the world. Uh, similarly, circumcision is also practiced by Muslim, although at the age of 13 rather than at eight days old. Circumcision is one of the oldest uh, surgical procedure, and while it is thought to have originated at least tens of thousands of years ago, no one is quite clear why exactly it began. So a number of theories have been put forth, but ultimately the question is still debated. By far, the most famous case of circumcision is in Judaism. Jewish circumcision is an ancient ritual dated back to the biblical time. However, it wasn't just limited to Jews, and there is considerable archaeological evidence that circumcision was common to some extent in Egypt and may have been practiced in other cultures. But what is also widely agreed upon by both biblical accounts and contemporary evidence is that the Greeks loathed circumcision, with Greek art emphasizing the purity of the human form and the inclusion of foreskins on males. As the Greeks spread their influence in the ancient world, circumcision became less common. And by the time of the Roman Empire, only a few groups, uh, specifically Jews, still practiced circumcision. 
Christianity also initially adopted the practice of circumcision, but this declined as Christianity continued to develop and circumcision was seen as unnecessary. However, the practice became more normalized and today, circumcision is widespread, even among Christian countries, specifically the US and the Philippines. It is clear from this various discovery that circumcision dates back quite far into the past, but there is no definitive link to a specific community being the originator of the practice. So while the exact origin of circumcision remained debated, its practice has evolved over thousands of years and holds significant meaning for various communities worldwide. In the United States, circumcision rates have been historically high, largely driven by societal norms and medical beliefs. However, it's essential to understand that circumcision is not a common in other parts of the world. In the US, circumcision became popular in the 19th century, with medical professionals viewing it as a preventative measures for various ailments. In the late 19th century, a time when the causes of most diseases were poorly understood, uh, mystified by everything from epilepsy to madness, some physicians in both America and England began to suspect that the real trouble was phimosis, which is a condition uh, when an overly tight foreskin hindered normal function. So by removing the foreskin, surgeons believed they could heal all sorts of maladies, from hernias to lunacies. And around the turn of the 20th century, American epidemiologists were also trying to explain why Jews lived longer than other groups of people. So Jews tended to have lower rates of infectious diseases such as syphilis and tuberculosis, in part because they had little sexual contact with non-Jews. But some scientists began to suspect their rude health was a product of circumcision. So at the time, surgical intervention of all kinds were becoming more popular owing to better anesthesia and greater concern over cleanliness, which reduced hospital contagion. Doctors began recommending the operation as part of neonatal routine, not only did the procedure prevent phimosis, but it was so believed to make the penis more hygienic and less tempting to <laughs> way more masturbating boys. Well, a notion that might have been quashed by something known as the scientific method. As David Collaler explained in his book Circumcision, a history of the world's most controversial surgery, a circumcised penis swiftly became a mark of distinction a sign of good breeding, sound hygiene, and the best medicine money could buy. In Britain, too, circumcision became a habit of the upper classes, including, yes, the royal family. Anyone who could afford to have a child delivered by a doctor rather than a midwife was keen to heed to latest scientific advice. But this changed in the UK with the launch of the publicly funded National Health Services in 1948. Because British doctors could not agree that circumcision was necessary, well, the practice was not covered. At a time when most Brits were financially strapped, few cared to pay for something so that became suddenly frivolous. Circumcision rates swiftly dropped. 
In America, however, the post-war boom years created a glut of jobs and employers often hooed workers with plush health benefits, which typically covered circumcision. A growing number of Americans could suddenly afford to give birth in hospitals and routine infant circumcision spiked. This helped entrenched an elective medical practice, creating generation of foreskinless fathers and doctors who were inclined to believe it was best for their son too. It is a trend that America's unwisely fee-for-service healthcare handily reinforces, as doctors and hospitals have incentive for offering interventions deemed unnecessary most everywhere else. So now let's take a look at the weight of the health benefits. So many Americans believe circumcision offers significant health advantages, including a reduced risk of urinary tract infection, penile cancer, and certainly sexually transmitted diseases. So now let's explore the evidence behind these claims. Studies suggest that circumcision may have some health benefits, such as reducing the risk of UTIs and penile cancer. But one of the most significant topics in recent years regarding circumcision is its potential role in HIV pr prevention. For years, researchers observed that regions where male circumcision is common, like some countries in West Africa, have lower levels of HIV infection compared to areas where circumcision is less prevalent, such as in Southern Africa. And in 2005, a study in South Africa known as the Orange Farm Intervention Trial provided the first research proof that men randomly assigned to be circumcised had 60% fewer HIV infection than the control group. Since then, further trials in Kenya and Uganda have supported these findings. In Kisumu, Kenya, Researcher found that a 53 reduction of HIV infection in circumcised men compared to uncircumcised men. So in Uganda, the trial involving 4,996 men aged 15 to 49 years old show a 51 risk reduction of becoming infected with HIV through adult male circumcision. So the biological basis for this risk reduction is associated with the removal of tissue in the foreskin that is particularly vulnerable to the virus. Additionally, the area under the foreskin is susceptible to scratches and tears during sexual intercourse, providing an entry point for the virus. Uncircumcised men may also be more vulnerable to sexually transmitted diseases, which can increase the risk of contracting HIV. While the result of these trials indicates that adult male circumcision could be an important addition to an HIV prevention strategy for men, the evidence is not as compelling in countries with lower HIV prevalence like the US. Most Americans assume the practice is medical useful, like a vaccination. The, the, the medical, the American community agrees, both the US Center of Disease Control and Prevention and the American Academy of Pediatrics claim the benefits of circumcision outweigh the risk, sitting evidence that circumcision lower a main risk for HIV, UTI, and penile cancer. But a closer look reveals that, at least in the industrialized world, 
the health benefits of circumcision may be negligible. Circumcision, for example, does slightly lower the risk of a UTI in males newborn, but UTIs affect fewer than 1% of uncircumcised infants and are easily treatable with antibiotics. For every six UTI prevented through circumcision, at least one infant is likely to suffer a complication from surgery, such as hemorrhagia. Men without a foreskin do appear less likely to get penile cancer, but this disease is pretty uncommon, affecting roughly one in 100,000 men in the U.S. each year, and is also fairly treatable. So for a bit of perspective, women are 100 times more likely to get breast cancer. And while it is true that three randomized trials in Africa found that circumcision more than half the risk of men getting HIV, it is harder to justify a prophylactic procedure in place with considerably less HIV risk. In South Africa, for instance, almost a quarter of the adult population is already infected, whereas in America, a little over one-third of 1%, so 0.37% have HIV. In addition, the trials found that circumcision helped men who have sex with infected women. In America, however, HIV is transmitted primarily via non-sterile syringes or sex between men, and there is no evidence that a foreskin affects either mode. So let's take a look at the cultural and ethical considerations. So beyond the medical aspect, circumcision also raises cultural and ethical questions. Some argue that it should be a personal choice made by the individual, while others view it as a deeply ingrained tradition. In America, even irreligious people still embrace the innation rate. Some blame peer pressure. Well, I didn't want him to look weird. Others take comfort in the fact that this tradition has also been blazed by the the American medical establishment. Neonatal circumcision has been the most common surgery in America for over a century. Nearly six out of ten newborns are released from hospital foreskin-free. The practice is so widespread, in fact, that one study of 90 active American medical textbooks and models found that less than a third featured a penis with foreskin intact. Because male circumcision is so common in the States, few Americans realize how rare it is most everywhere else. The practice has fallen by the wayside in Australia, Canada, Britain, and New Zealand, and fewer than one-fifth of male Europeans are circumcised. The Danish Medical Association recommended to hand the practice for boys, arguing that because it permanently altered the bodies, it should be an informed and personal choice that young men make for themselves. In Germany, a district judge ruled in 2012 that ritual circumcision of juveniles is a crime that violates the fundamental right of the child to bodily integrity. South Korea is the only Asian country to embrace the procedure as a kind of physiological souvenir of American occupation following World War II. But there, too, circumcision rates are declining fast, as the adolescent boys who would otherwise go under the knife 
as per local custom, gain access to research about his purported benefits online. Monli also add that the procedure is highly remunerative for the pediatrician in most hospitals. The professional charge between $150 and $200 a, uh, a procedure. In states where Medicaid does not cover the practice, rates have fallen fast. Beyond the U.S., circumcision practices vary widely across different regions and culture. So now, let's explore how attitudes towards this circumcision differ worldwide. Beyond the U.S., circumcision practices vary widely and diverse attitudes and beliefs surrounding this Asian ritual has a deep impact. In many Muslim-majority countries, circumcision holds deep religious significance and is widely practiced as an essential rite of passage. It is considered a sacred duty and symbolizes a covenant with God, just as it does in Judaism. The practice often takes place during infancy or adolescence, and the ceremonies surrounding it may vary from one community to another, reflecting the rich cultural tapestry of the Islamic world. In contrast, Europe and China have relatively lower circumcision rates influenced by cultural norms and historical factors. In many European countries, circumcision is not a routine medical procedure and it is more commonly practiced for specific religious or medical reasons. European societies often prioritize individual autonomy and body integrity leading to varying attitudes towards circumcision, particularly when it involves performing the procedures on non-consenting infants. Africa presents a complex landscape of circumcision practices, with some region embracing it as a traditional rite of passage into adulthood. In certain African tribes, circumcision is seen as a symbol of courage, manhood, and tribal identity. However, there are also concerns about traditional practices and the need for proper medical supervision to ensure the well-being of those undergoing the procedure. In Southeast Asia, circumcision is prevalent among Muslim communities but is less common among other religious groups. The decision to circumcise is often influenced by religious belief and cultural traditions, which can vary significantly from one country to another. As we explore attitudes towards circumcision worldwide, it becomes evident that this practice is deeply underwended with cultural, religious, and social context. Understanding this varying perspective is crucial for promoting respectful dialogue and informed decision-making on a global scale. In a world where traditions, beliefs, and medical practices intersect, it is vital to emphasize the importance of informed decision-making when it comes to circumcision. The choice to circumcise a child is a deeply personal one, and understanding both the medical evidence and the cultural context surrounding this practice can empower parents to make the best choices for their children's well-being and identity. First and foremost, parents should seek accurate and up-to-date medical information about circumcision. By consulting with healthcare professionals, they gain a comprehensive understanding of the potential health benefits and risks associated with the procedure. Understanding the medical evidence allows parents to weigh the advantages and disadvantages, 
enabling them to make a decision that align with the child's overall health and welfare. Equally important is acknowledging the cultural context in which circumcision is practiced. For some communities, circumcision is a deeply ingrained tradition, carrying profound spiritual and social significance. By recognizing the cultural importance of circumcision, parents can approach the decision-making process with sensitivity and respect for their heritage and beliefs. On the other hand, parents from non-circumcising cultures should also be mindful of their own belief and values. Open discussion with healthcare providers, religious leaders, or just members of their community can provide valuable insight into the varying perspective of circumcision. Engaging in this conversation really helps parents gain a broader perspective on the topic and make decisions that are congruent with their family cultural identity. As parents navigate the decision-making process, they must prioritize their child's autonomy and bodily integrity. If parents decide to circumcise their child, ensuring that the procedure is performed safely and with proper medical supervision is essential to the child's well-being. Ultimately, the decision to circumcise or not should be driven by a thoughtful consideration of both medical evidence and cultural significance. Informed decision-making empowers parents to act in their best interest of their children and respecting the tradition and the value that shape their family identity. And finally, by fostering open conversation and promoting education about circumcision, we can create an environment where parents feel empowered to make well-informed choices that align with their beliefs and value and fostering a sense of understanding and compassion within diverse communities worldwide. Uh, on a personal note, I also have, uh, I, I think it was on Netflix, I will provide the link to it. It's a, it's a show I think you should, everybody should watch because it really gives a window to, um, you know, how circumcision is perceived and uh, the reality of some people in the U.S. So I'll make sure to add that uh, to the episode. Well, I hope you liked it and don't hesitate to send me your feedback or uh, how, what was your choice on circumcision and see you next time.